I'm joined today by somebody who I've known for a little while. Um, his name is John Featherston, and um, I met him at a bunch of Republican events. I think we first talked um, when you were on the radio, and it was during the 2016 state committee races. Do you remember that? I I, I certainly do. I mean, I think I met you years before with Tom, your husband. Probably, yes. But then- but then uh, I had the honor of you calling into All Politics is Local on WCRM when you were running for the state committee. Exactly. And, uh, you gave your little uh, uh, campaign speech, and uh, we've been f- fast friends ever since. And, of course, uh, really fast I friends. Pre- <laughs> I appreciate everything that you do for you know for advancing the cause and and having this dialogue, and it's a it's an honor to be with you tonight. Well, thank you. It's really fun to talk to you, and I think um, I invited you on. The most pressing reason I wanted to talk to you is because you've been tweeting a whole bunch about running um, for Mass GOP chair. Now, I mean, like, I assume a ton of people probably don't even know that there is a Mass GOP chair or what I'm talking about when I say I was running for state committee or any of these things. But basically, in 2016, I ran for state committee, which is like the governing board of um, the Mass GOP. The Democratic Party has one, too. The existence of them is sort of controlled by state law. Um, and the ways people run for them and they're linked into the town committees and the city committees and all these different things. Um, so it's sort of nuts and bolts political stuff that I think is really fun and interesting. And Tom is always like, go talk about that on your own podcast. Go start your own show. I don't want to hear about it because his eyes just glaze over. But you've been doing a lot of this stuff for a long time. How did you first start to get involved in all these committees and caucuses? And I think you were running the 2016 delegate caucuses for the mm-hmm. RNC um, that year also. How did how did you first start to do all this stuff? Well, you know, uh, thanks for the question. I think it's a good question. Uh, I'm a lifelong Republican. Um, I came out of the womb. I grew up in the Midwest. I've always been a Republican from day one. Ronald Reagan has always been my hero. So, you know, I'm a lot older than you. But, you know, when I was in high school, Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States. And I had two heroes at that time. I was Johnny Bench, the catcher for the Cincinnati Reds, and Ronald Reagan. And I still love Johnny Bench, but uh, Reagan's values have stuck with me throughout the years. And I've always been actively involved in the... in public service more than politics to start. And then uh, the answer how I got into politics, um, I'm a father of an adult son with autism and the school was kind of messing around with my kid. And I'm like, okay, why don't I run for school committee? And then when I ran for school committee and realized the board of selectmen controls the budgets for the schools, uh, I ran for board of selectmen. Then I ran for board of health. And I, I just, I got uh, my passion for public service and Reagan as my guide in politics has just gotten me involved. I've gotten, you know, doesn't help that some people say I'm the uh, Massachusetts version. I look like Mike Pence. <laughs> and uh, I often have a suit and a tie on at all times because of my day job. But uh, uh, I've just gotten involved in politics. And as you mentioned, I caucused the uh, chair, chaired the caucuses in 2012 and 2016 for the Republican Committee uh, for presidential uh uh, caucuses and uh i've been an advocate i've helped a plethora of candidates over the years run for office either from the national level to the uh, state level and most certainly on the local level and uh i'm kind of like the forrest gump of politics uh 
I, I've been to the White House. Uh, I've been in events with Bob Dole, and I've been in events with Chris Christie that, like, how did I, like, kind of get here? But uh, I've just been kind of gravitated toward politics all of my life. And being a, being a public official in Massachusetts and always telling people, and very proud of the fact, I'm a Republican. And yes, yeah, and I've been to other events, and they're like, wow, you're an elected official in Massachusetts, and you don't hide the fact that you're a Republican? No, I don't hide it. I'm proud of it. I, uh, uh, it's an honor to be a Republican in Massachusetts, because Massachusetts needs Republicans. Uh, a one-party uh, state doesn't benefit anybody. Even if you're a radical progressive, you don't benefit from a one-party rule, because the one party makes all the decisions. And there needs to be balance in government. So I've always tried to be that balance. I, you know, I work with a lot of uh, Democrats on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, Elizabeth Warren doesn't like me, but I think everybody else pretty much yeah. gets along with me and respects me. And uh, I'm saddened by what's going on at Mass GOP. A lot of good people at Mass GOP. A lot of good people on the state committee. And you know, I'll personally tell you that Jim Lyons is a is a nice man. But hey, the results speak for themselves, don't they? Yeah, it, it was a tough year, and it was a tougher year than I hoped it would be. And I'm a big fan of Jeff Deal. I think he's a great candidate. Yes. And, you know, I know that I've been yelled at for that because people say, like, he's out of step with the state or he's too far right. I mean, I, I don't know that that's really the case. I don't know that he's really a big, like, hardo, like, super conservative or something. I think he's a, no. a good candidate, he's and he's been elected. But I mean, I, I was really super disappointed by the results. And I know that a lot of it has to do with a whole bunch of stuff that goes on at Mass GOP. I know Ooh. even when I ran for state committee in 2016, there was so there was so much sniping and infighting and just ridiculous behavior from all kinds of people that it like turned me off to a lot of it in general. And I think people are so sick of that in our party in particular. But I almost like I worry that it's almost insurmountable. Like I you're a better person than me for wanting to take it on because I don't know like it, like what do you even do from here like where I guess you could say there's nowhere to go but up but the party's embroiled in like lawsuits and and campaign finance things and all sorts of stuff like is this fixable right now yeah I mean can we take a, a step back because I don't sure. disagree with what you're saying about 2016 because I experienced it back in 2012 as well mm -hmm. uh the party's been, I mean, you have to give credit where credit's due. Democrats are pretty good at what they do. I don't agree with what they do, but they're good at what they do. They have a plan. They stick to it. You're next in line. You're going to be the next governor. You're going to be the next senator. They have a plan. And what don't they do? They don't disparage their own candidates. They don't talk bad about their own candidates. They know that the people will eventually decide, you know, Who's going to be the next governor? Who's going to be the next? They don't disparage. We disparage. We, we're the party of the middle class. We're the party of caring about you know law and order and your kids' education. Well, in Massachusetts, what we've become, we've become our own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. We certainly don't follow the Reagan rule. You never speak ill will of another Republican. And you know sometimes that's hard to do, but that's something that I strongly believe in. I will never criticize another Republican in public, I might pull him aside and say, hey, what are you thinking? What are you doing and stuff? But that's what a good friend does. You know, it's also another Reagan uh, rule. If you agree with somebody 80% of the time, they're not your enemy. They're your friend. 
I mean, do you, have you ever met a human being that you don't disagree with? Never. They could be your best friend you could disagree with on a lot of issues. So why in Massachusetts, if, if you don't agree with Jeff Deal or you don't agree with Charlie Baker or if you don't agree with Mitt Romney or Bill Weld, oh, you're, you're a rhino. Oh, come on. Cut the crap. Okay. You know, is, is Charlie Baker as conservative as John Featherston? No, not even close. Is Charlie Baker a pretty good governor? Absolutely he is. Is Charlie Baker a rhino? Maybe he's a social, you know, maybe he's social rhino. Mm -hmm. He's a fiscal conservative. Charlie Baker, I mean, and I didn't agree with everything Charlie did on COVID, uh, but I like Charlie Baker. But you know one thing that Charlie's not getting any credit for? If Maura Healy was the governor, would you have gotten your tax uh, return back in the mail this uh, past no week? No way. No way. So was he perfect on everything that a diehard conservative does? No, he wasn't. But you know what? What Charlie Baker did prove is that you do need to have an adult in the room, and you do need to be willing to compromise. You never, never negotiate your core values, but you do have to compromise in politics to get something. And, you know, some people might say that he compromised too much, and I can have that conversation as well, too. But he governed the state pretty well, okay? And you can be a Massachusetts Republican and like Charlie Baker and like Donald Trump. You can do both. Are they vehemently different? Absolutely, they're vehemently different. But I think instead of embracing that you've got two totally different candidates and two different personalities and two different management styles— of using those both to our advantage, instead we choose the we just choose to blow up the party, okay? And if you if the leadership of Mass GOP doesn't know that you can't win on abortion, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't fight for that battle, but you know if you're going to make that your number one priority in the party, you're not going to win. You're going to lose seats, and that's what we've done. We've lost seats. So to get to get back to your question, we're at rock bottom right now. We are literally at the doorstep of not being a party in Massachusetts. So what can I do? How can I fix it? Well, first, I'll be that adult in the room. I'll lead by example. I'm a team builder. I've always been a team builder. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a nice guy, but nobody's got the resolve that I have, you know. Mm -hmm. Just ask Tom. <laughs> now mm -hmm. I've taken on I've taken on advocates over the years. You know, I've been a member of the cancel culture as well, and I didn't go away. I just professionally and cal and calculated. I keep plugging away. I keep plugging away. I am a strong, strong opponent to the cancel culture, and I'll never, I'll never give up that fight. But you need to be a professional. You need to have talking points. You need to get everybody in the room and say, okay, what are we going to do as a party? And I'm the person. Okay, let's decide what we're going to do in the room. I'll go out and sell it to the public. I know how to deal with the media. I know the media is not our friend. I understand that. I don't expect them to be our friend. You know, I'm probably the first GOP uh, chairman candidate that's ever been blocked by the Boston Globe. I take that as a badge of honor. I'm going to work on it. I know the Boston Globe's not going to treat me fair. I'm fine with that. I know how to work around it, though, too. And we do it. We, we get back on the local level. Uh, and the, the current chair and prior chairs have ignored the local town committees. And what has happened? Find me... A majority quorum on a school committee that's Republican right now in Massachusetts. Find me a quorum majority of 
select board members in Massachusetts that are Republicans. Right. Right. They, they and I think there's a lot of there, there's a lot of pieces that go into that issue and and that's a tough one because the local the local stuff is really hard and it's really hard to get people involved but the party absolutely like I kind of alluded to earlier the this is all baked into state law you ca- almost can't run the state party if your city and town committees aren't functioning because they need to be organized in order to like elect people to the state committee and you know because there are there are right now even openings on the state committee and caucuses have to be held to fill them people have to organize these things and it's very very difficult i was the vice chair of our um city committee in melrose for years and it is super super difficult to get people to go to anything you know i would like mail 100 or 150 people every meeting i would like go knock on doors of prospective people telling them about the meeting i would have speakers come but it it was still hard and it's and it's even like since i stepped away from doing that i can see that lots of city and town committees that i see around me are either not organized anymore or will have like seven people in a room and in because you know and everyone's busy no one has the time or is able to commit to do these things to organize committees to call a bunch of people to stuff envelopes to mail a bunch of people like how do you get people over that sense that the, it's useless and a waste of time to do all this work because it is a lot of work and you know you have to ask people to do it because you you, you sent you sent benchmarks for it one you let people know i mean your parents you've got young children are you happy what's going on in the schools right mm-hmm. now absolutely not so w- w- let's focus on that let's get republicans involved to say you know what's going on in your you know little child's classroom you need to get involved you need to run for office i've run for school committee i've been on school committee i i can get you elected i know how it's done is it hard work yeah it is is it impossible no it's not you know and then we'll get you elected we'll get get a couple school committee members and i'll reach out to select board candidates and get a couple select boards you know a town moderator who was often in charge of the finance committees in town you get a republican Mm -hmm. on there and that's where you do it the the Jeff Deals, the Charlie Bakers, the Bill Welds, the Mitt Romneys, they're always going to come around. And I'm not saying that you don't focus on that and you make it a big priority with Mass GOP, because you do. But what you have to do is you have to build the bench for the Mass GOP. And Mass GOP has talked about, and I, I was in a meeting just this past year, and it was in late February. It was a Zoom meeting. And the talk was, oh, we're going to build the party up from the grassroots. And I raised my hand I've and said- i heard that uh, so many times now, John. I can't even yeah. tell you. I've heard but, that so you know, many freaking times. When John Featherston says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And more importantly, when John Featherston says he's not going to do something, he's not going to do it. But I raised my hand and said, hey, it's late February. What's our slate of candidates for school committee and selectmen? And it was, you know, crickets. Because you can sit there and say you're going to build the grassroots, but right now, today, if we're not out recruiting school committee candidates and board of selectmen candidates and planning board mm-hmm. and board of health candidates, we've wasted another year because the holidays are upon us. Then it's going to be January and March and April comes around real quick. And if you're not organizing on the campaign, you're not going to get elected. Right. So what is Mass GOP doing today for recruiting candidates? I hear nothing. 
Nobody pays attention to this. I'm a political nerd. No, I live and breathe this stuff. I don't hear anything. I'm not hearing anything out of the state committee. And I'm certainly not hearing stuff out of uh, local town committees because, like you are, I'm in the Metro West area. I mean, I've got a city in the Metro West that's given up on their their city mm-hmm. committee. The city committees are especially tough. I ran into this in Melrose. It was because you have to have each ward committee organized individually. So you have mm-hmm. to have three people who will agree to be officers in your ward committee in each ward. And if you have a ward in your city that's particularly left-leaning, it can be really hard to find those three people to get to sign the papers and show up to things. So it's, you know, and and then if your ward's not organized, and then you're short. Anybody who wants to join who lives in that ward can't join. It's... The cities are especially tricky, but but yeah, it's a lot of work. And I mean, the other issue I run into with the local stuff, and I did, I I tried to help a school committee candidate in the town next door to us um, who was conservative, and and it was, I mean, not from my perspective, I was happy to help her, but I it was from her perspective absolutely thankless because she got trashed every single day on all the town facebook groups people were mean to her mean to her kids like hated her just i mean terrible she didn't win and it was like she was so just emotionally drained by the entire experience she was like well that was great i'm never doing that again what a waste of time and and you know even when you get these jobs they're a little bit thankless like you know a little bit they're very they're very <laughs> they're not paid almost ever uh some bigger cities pay them but uh, almost almost none of these boards and things that you work so hard to get elected to are paid um you get yelled at a lot by people they're a lot of work in a lot of cases and a time commitment and you know i feel like parents my age especially are busier than ever. Their kids are signed up for more activities than ever. It's very difficult to get them to volunteer for almost anything, much less, you know, political things that are going to cause consternation in their friend groups. And in almost always the the response I hear is they're like surprised that a lot of these positions are even elected at all, right? Like, why is the town moderator elected? Or why is the Board of Health elected? Why don't they just hire experts to do it? You know, and there's, there's an apathy amongst people like in their 30s and younger, I think, towards local government, and a sense that like, why can't somebody just handle that? Like, why do I have to be involved with it? That's kind of shocking. And I wonder if it makes it even harder to recruit candidates than it maybe it already does. was. It does. But you know, I tell people all the time, and I'll say Joe Biden's the worst president of my lifetime. And that's a pretty high benchmark to hit, but he's the worst president of my lifetime. But you know, at the end of the day, Joe Biden doesn't affect my life much other than I get enjoyment out of watching him embarrass himself on the national stage. But you know what the local board of selectmen can do? They can really mess up my home value. My local school committee can certainly ruin my kid's future. The planning board can wreck my home value or wreck my car because they don't maintain the roads properly or do curb cuts properly. All politics is local. And your local elections, in my opinion, are more important than any time you brought in a presidential election. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times nowadays you see local elections, it's a nice turnout of people, 20% of the populace comes out. But you know, they're indoctrinating our children in the schools. Uh, they've changed, you know, CRT uh, practices in the school. And if maybe just w- we can get one Republican on the committee and say, no, 
we're not going to do this to our kids. We're not going to allow this type of stuff. A school committee mm-hmm. is supposed to be talking about educating our kids and giving them a better future, not right. indoctrinating them. Right, you know, and was- just competently running things, too, by the yes. way. This was just a big story in Melrose where they've been doing all this CRT stuff and changing the mascot and all these different things. And, you know, they went back to, and, you know, people always say when this stuff happens, they're like, don't you have other things to do right now than like change the mascot? And they always go like, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can do both. We can keep all these things, do all these things at once. This is important too. We're doing everything. And yet they do all this stuff. And somehow the school committee this last year, overspent by $2 million without noticing and couldn't balance their books at the end of the year and had to come back to the city council for more money. (laughs) So I guess they can't do it all at once. So, I mean, that's the other thing, too, is just competence. Like, just actually being able to do the basics of the job, like run a school district to a budget. And and that's why it's important that we get more like-minded people on these school committees and these finance committees and these boards of the selectmen. You know, when I first became a selectman, I, you know, I, I've kind of always looked at it from a professional standpoint. And, you know, when you question something, it's not to be controversial. It's to say, Hey, this doesn't, the math doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. And then you literally have a town manager look at you and go, Oh yeah, it never does. What? What do you mean? It never does. Oh, we, we figure it all out at the end of the year. no, we're going to run a balanced budget here. You know, I also I once had a town manager tell me, uh, don't mess with uh, two and a half. And I'm like, what do you mean, two and a half? I said, if I can figure out a way to do it at 2% versus two and a half, isn't that my job? Don't do that because we're going to do two and a half and then we're going to do local receipts and we're actually going to increase the budget every year at three and a half. And they go, that's why government in Massachusetts doesn't work. Prop two and a half is a great thing because it keeps our taxes lower. But you've got every town administrator and majority of your boards to select, and they're going, "Yep, let's go, let's go right to that level." The only town I've seen recently that's done that hasn't done that is uh, Hopkinton, where they actually had an underride. Yeah. But wouldn't it be re- refreshing? Because Charlie Baker just proved to everybody, and thank you to Barbara Anderson and her foresight back in the '80s mm-hmm. that the government was going to do this for you. We don't need more taxes in Massachusetts. We need somebody to control the spending in Massachusetts. We have plenty of revenue in this state, but we don't have somebody that's watching over. We've now elected an auditor in this election cycle who's never conducted an audit in her life. Right. And she got elected because she had a D next to her name, not for her qualifications. Mm-hmm. We now, had do you think camp- some of that, like D next to the name, even though it's not there in local elections, um, do you think it's seeping into the local elections? Because I, I see a lot of that, over. too. And take. and certainly in a lot of these towns or a lot of progressives who have certainly saw it a lot in Melrose, people were spending at, at what was at the time unheard of sums of money, ten, twenty thousand dollars in local races to get elected to these seats that don't pay that, you know, just to because they view it as a jumping off point to something yep. else. And and really pushing these more like national focused issues you know should we make melrose a sanctuary city should we no whatever (laughs) so they're they're trying to drive the local political conversation into the national conversation which i think is to the great great detriment of local politics to the focus on all this other stuff because like you say you've been a republican who's been elected to all these local boards and committees and 
that's because for the most part, people have in the past understood that the issues are really totally separate groups of issues. So even if you don't agree with, say, Trump, you might elect a Republican that you agree with on a bunch of local issues mm -hmm. on development or housing or taxes or whatever it is. And and I think that has like been lost because, like I say, I think there's like so much apathy now amongst young people, amongst the generation that's really like buying a lot of houses and moving into a lot mm -hmm. of towns at this moment in time. I mean, like I see, I don't. People don't even want to go to town meeting. Every time there's a town meeting, people will go. You really have to go to this in person to vote in this day and age. We're still doing this. This is the most absurd, antiquated thing. And I'm sitting here going, like, I love town meeting. This is so cool. I actually get to vote on whether or not we like buy a new snowplow like I have this much control over what we're doing like I kind of think it's awesome but uh, you know clearly I'm in the minority and and like how do you not just get over the hump of like re being Republicans in Massachusetts but also get over the hump of like people just not caring about any of this local stuff too well I think that's one of the big things that I will focus on when I become mass GOP chair is to focus you know and one of the biggest things is how do you communicate to people you, communicating to me, a guy who's pushing 60, is not the same way that you're going to communicate to the young person moving into your neighborhood, 25, 30-year-old. What motivates them? What motivates me at, at 60 is not going to motivate a 25 or 30-year-old person. And that's where the Republican Party has done a bad job. And the Democratic Party has done a good job, is that they've enthused people. My words, they've misrepresented themselves on a lot of the issues and get people to, you know, hey, I'm going to erase your student loan debt. Vote for me. Mm -hmm. You know what? We all know it's a lie. We all know it's a crock. But you know what? It worked. Sure did. You know? It sure worked. And I would never, you know, falsify anything to, to forward our message or anything like that. But we need to figure out because you know what? Most people are more conservative than they want to believe that they are. Because nobody wants to pay more. Nobody ever wants to see corruption. You know, Nobody it, wants to see crime everywhere, all the streets and their catalytic right. converter nobody. being stolen and everything else. Like People don't want to live like this. And I think that's even one of the reasons right, why... radical progressives don't want to live like that. No. So sometimes you have to show them why a two-party system is important. And you have to... Res and you will resonate with them if you have a consistent solid professional manner your spokesman is a professional person with integrity that knows how to communicate knows how to team build it t it takes that person mm -hmm. we haven't had that person in too long i will have to learn a lot of that but i know that i can bring that to the party that other people cannot so who do you think was I'm the last gop chair who was doing a good job at all that It's been a long time. It's been a long time so go, going back to the Wald administration. Uh, Beth Lindstrom, I always have had a tremendous amount of respect for Beth Lindstrom. I think she is has been an asset to the party as well. Uh, so I mean, if, just going back, and uh, if I'm if I'm missing somebody, I apologize. But yeah, now you know, you've also said that you're not going to take a salary, and I know that. I know that in the past, the GOP chair hasn't been a paid position, correct? That's a relatively that. recent phenomenon. You know, I, I would think in the last, I, I don't know the exact, but I would say the last eight, 10 years, yeah, and, and cr close to a six-figure salary. 
as well. So Right. So and it's usually been We don't have money yeah. to give local candidates, but we're paying six figures for bad leadership. I mean, come on, what are we doing? <laughs> right. So I mean, and I guess what I've been told by people is that that's kind of because the GOP chairs is sort of more of a figurehead position versus like the executive director who's more of a like paid like nuts and bolts position. But I mean, like what in your view, like because people always say like, well, if you don't pay somebody, then you're not going to get great candidates, right? That that if you want somebody really good and professional, like you were saying, it needs to be a professional. Mm-hmm. It should be a paid person who's paid to do that 100% of the time. And I, I and, see that point. And so, like, can the party attract good leadership without paying that position? I mean, obviously, you want to run and, and do it unpaid. But I, are you able I, to, like, commit to doing it full time then? But in, in a perfect world, Allison, I mean, would I want to be compensated for hard work? Of course I will. And you know what? That'll come. That'll come when we, we can, you know become a viable party again. Yeah. I mean, what, Hey, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I've been on boards and committees and kept the day job. Uh, there were weeks when I was working 68 hours a week as an unpaid selectman and still had a 40 hour a week job too. A lot of stuff at mass GOP to your point earlier is we've got to, you know, I will, I will canvas the state at night and go to local committee. When was the last time a GOP chairman went to a Western mass uh, local town committee man. When was the last time in Melrose you saw a GOP chairman? I will do that because that's the way I'm going to recruit candidates. Maybe that's a way that you get people to attend these meetings and get to talk to them. And when they when somebody goes to a meeting, goes, you know what? I will throw my hat in the ring because John's going to help me. He's not, you know, he's not going to do everything for me, but he's going to help me. He's going to advise me. He's going to be a shoulder to lean on. He's going to tell me what he's done right in the past, what he's done wrong in the past. And that's how we're going to build the party up. The party's going to be built, you know, mm-hmm. at nights on weekends. Uh, we're going to be organizing events. I'm going to be doing media blitzes and tours. I, you know, I'll be a constant face in the media. We haven't mm-hmm. had that. We and haven't now, had that. I think Jim Lyons did want to do some of that, but, you know, felt stymied by a lot of the the issues that were going on in the party that were, you know, and and I don't want to dig into like whose fault what is, because first of all, I think that's kind of boring, (laughs) but second of all, like it almost doesn't matter at this point, but I feel like there still is right now a lot of stuff that has to be detangled in the mass Mm -hmm. GOP. Like, so you posted this great graphic that had all these numbers in it, like what was spent on candidates and what was spent and the direct spending by the mass GOP on candidates if I read this correctly, it was negative fourteen thousand dollars in that cycle. That's that what that yep. said. So, I mean, like, what what does that even mean? Is that a result of the fighting over the fundraising issues and the bank account issues, or and the other stuff that was going on in the party? Whoever's whose ever fault that is, but or, I mean, like, where do you go from here? Like, is it is it even possible to help candidates right now? Or does the mass GOP have a bunch of stuff they need to figure out internally before like any of this can even happen? I, I and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but mass GOP is bankrupt right now. Mass right. GOP hasn't raised any money and whatever obligations we have, of course we settle them and we figure it out. Mass GOP is bankrupt right now. So in, we need to but focus on... But not that on... they haven't taken in any money. I mean, like, I went to the convention. I gave them they money. Have... <laughs> like... Right. But 
we're not getting national national money's not coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, Corey Lewandowski told me at the convention when I had him on my podcast that if there were two candidates for uh, you know uh, for governor, the the national money was going to dry up, and the national money did dry up. The national money because a lot of people are you know donors who are usually good business people. They see what's going on in the party and go, okay, we're not going to you know give resources to a dumpster fire we're going to give resources to somewhere else so not only is i'm building the party on the local level i'll be working on the national level mm-hmm. and asking so how do you for money- convince oh. those donors when the party is semi-bankrupt and ha- is missing a bunch of people off the state committee with positions that haven't been filled and all of all still, of these moving parts don't... how do you convince those national people that 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 it isn't a dumpster fire because it kind of like, how do you, how do you start to fix that? Well, it's a good question, but Allison, hopefully, you know, I get elected in January and that next day I'm out recruiting candidates and I'm doing it now recruiting candidates for local boards of selectmen and school committees. And we get, we get a slate of candidates for that. Okay. And then we buy Mm -hmm. ourselves some time. Then I start reaching out to national donors and networking and, I know how to do that. I've, I've raised money for campaigns in the past. I raise money for a living now as well. Uh, we reach out to them and say, hey, listen, 100%. We were a dumpster fire. We've got new leadership. I'm the new leader. I'm the one. I'm the accountable one. Hold me accountable. But look what we've done in this short period of time. This is my slate of candidates. This is what my business plan is. I mean, we're basically going to create a business plan and go out and start fundraising and asking people to an to not not only invest in John Featherston, but invest invest in Mass GOP and identify the fact that we've been doing it wrong for years and we have a new solid business plan. Please jump on board. And all that time, why we're and then once we get those people elected for those local t- town committees, then we start then we start planning for 2024, and then we start planning for 2026 because we we can beat Maura Healy in four years. It's going to be easy. Because we'll just run off of her record. Right. But in doing that, we, we ended up losing state rep seats in this election cycle. So now we have, so now hopefully we can take some of those select board or school committee people and say, hey, listen, you did a great job with that. Let's, let's get you to run for state rep. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're out recruiting those state. If you form a state rep committee in the same calendar year that you're going to be elected in Massachusetts as mm-hmm. a Republican, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. Mm-hmm. So we need to be focusing on those candidates today for that election in two years or four years from now. You have to lay the groundwork. You even saw it with Charlie Baker when he ran against the ball Patrick. Right. And he didn't win. Then he ran against Martha Coakley and won by a very narrow margin. Yeah, with every globe endorsement, like everything, all the pieces had to be exactly right for him to win by like a few tens of thousands of votes, I think. Exactly. So sometimes you have to get lucky, but to get lucky, sometimes you need a candidate. And look at how many uncontested races up and down state rep, state senate. We didn't even have a transfer candidate. Yeah. And a few years ago, so I don't know if you watched this at all, but on on the Burn Barrel podcast, we we had Michael Graham on a little while ago. And uh, he's obviously, I love him too. And, you know, I really miss that time, that like 2010 time when he was doing candidate schools and there was like an energy in Massachusetts and it was around the time Scott Brown won. And it was like such a 
there was this vibe in the air that stuff was possible that there isn't right now and that there wasn't this last election cycle and and you know so so we had him on our show and he was saying that like Massachusetts Republicans should give up and join the Democratic Party and try and run oh. as moderate Democrats. And I said, have you met the Massachusetts Democratic Party? Because they're not going to let you do that. Like, they don't even let their own people do that. And they, 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 they have a lot of institutional strength that the Mass GOP doesn't have that controls, you know, what their party message is, who can run. And, and if if it were true that, that that were like a possibility, you would see a lot of contested races in the primaries among the Democrats. And you also don't see that in this state. Massachusetts, I read in like a WBUR article years ago, has the lowest, one of the lowest rates of contested races in the country, including in primaries. There's not like a, you know, this vibrant political debate happening within the Democratic Party in this state about how progressive they should be. They're just, they're unified in a way that Republicans just aren't. And they're not going to stand for people who became Democrats 10 seconds ago running for seats. They're just not going to let it happen. But can we, can I back you up there? Mm -hmm. Because you bring up an excellent point. And you ran for Mass GOP uh, State Committee. Now, there's been a lot of infighting with Mass GOP State Committee, and some, mm-hmm. some of it I agree with. A lot of it I wish wasn't being done in public, but you know I, I understand where some of the fear comes from. But I have to ask a fair question of State Committee people: Where are your candidates? Right. Who are you? Who are you running? You know, you can throw arrows, and maybe those arrows are at leadership, and maybe those arrows are justified. But I'm going to push back at you and go: Who do you got running for a school committee? Who do you have running for board of selectmen? Because you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And you're a GOP state committee person. Your job is to recruit candidates. Okay? Mm-hmm. We're not doing a good job with that. So I, I would ask that the state committee take a step back and go, maybe I haven't been doing as good a job. Because I can only speak for personal. I, I am friendly with both of my uh, GOP uh, state committee people. They haven't been to a meeting that I've been to in too long, okay? They don't have a slate of candidates for this coming up local election cycle. So that focus, and that's leadership. That's the coach. That's Bill Belichick leading the Patriots down the field. It's like, okay, guys, we're going to talk about every time we have a meeting. We can talk about, you know, agendas. We can talk about vision. We can talk about abortion. We can talk about, you know, know, taxation. We can talk about driver's license for legal because that's all very important. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go by district. Who do you got? Who? What are you working on? Who? 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 Who should I be reaching out to to help support? Who should I be reaching out to to national donors and, and state donors to go? Hey, this is a good candidate. We need to get on board. We're not having those conversations right now, and shame on us. Right, and I mean so. I talked to a bunch of people at the convention, and the one thing that I heard over and over that I was surprised to hear from people because I didn't think of it as being that big an issue in Massachusetts, but it is to a lot of Republican vote to a lot of the people that if you're going to organize Republicans, you need to have helping you is voter fraud. And I heard this over and over from people. And I mean, I personally, I think that an over-focus on voter fraud by GOP candidates really hurt the GOP nationally Mm -hmm. in this election cycle. I I do. I think if, that if Donald Trump runs for president and talks about how he 
got voter frauded out of being president of the United States, he will not win. I don't think people oh. want to hear about what happened they in don't 2020. Hear and you, you lost. But and, when you I know, talked to GOP voters, when I talked to very active GOP voters, and it is a segment of the party. It's not everybody that you need to get to vote for you, clearly. But mm-hmm. there is a very strong contingent of voters who are very active. And like I talked to a bunch of just regular people at the convention and that's what they said it's like i'm just afraid that if we don't get the voter fraud under control we're never going to win another election again and i think there's something sort of defeatist about this and i mean and i do think there is that voter fraud exists as a concept and i think some of it exists in massachusetts i think mail-in balloting is a disaster i think you know we got mail-in ballot request forms to our house for people that haven't lived here in over six years like i so so i mean i i know that this stuff exists and that it would be totally possible for us to send in those request forms if we weren't you know good upstanding citizens and and get more ballots and send them in but I don't I think that the DOP has other groundwork to do before we like worry about that too much in Massachusetts. But at the same time, like I think a lot of people are very excited about that issue. So how do you how do you talk to voters like that who are saying because there's a weird kind of like defeatism about it that they're saying like we just can't win because there's too much voter fraud and it's all corrupt. So I'm not going to bother. I mean, I think that hurt the GOP even in Georgia in 2020 as well in mm-hmm. those in those runoff races because I think people said, "Oh, it's all rigged and just didn't vote." You know. Well, let's take let's take a step back and I, you you bring up a beautiful question and I appreciate the question. Let's just say you weren't enthused by a Jeff Deal campaign, and you know, full disclosure, I voted for him. Uh, but let's just say you weren't. I hope you were voting no on issue one, and I hope you were voting no on issue four. I voted no on all four questions. Mm -hmm. But because we weren't focused in this last election cycle, and you, okay, maybe you weren't excited about the gubernatorial, you know, selection. So you stayed home and didn't vote at all. That's why question one passed. That's why question four passed. And... We did a bad job. Okay, you don't want to vote for the top of the ticket? Okay, I disagree with you, but but I respect it. But can you please vote no on issue one and, and issue four? And we didn't do that, and that's why we lost. We didn't lose either one of those questions by big numbers. But because we weren't organized, because we weren't focused, because we weren't professional, we did lose those. There was zero focus on that, and that wasn't money. That's mm-hmm. not money. That's yeah. just messaging. That's getting it out. That's me going on Howie Carr. That's me going on Jeff Cooner. That's me coming on your podcast. Please, if nothing else, do not let question one pass. Question one is one of the worst pieces of legislation mm-hmm. that this state is going to see in a long, long time. Yeah, I think it's going to be very damaging or to the economy. should have won in, in a landslide. And just because we were so focused on things that weren't important, we got stuck with both of those, and we could have used early voting. I hate nobody hates early voting more than I do. Okay, I hate it. I hate vote by mail. When the National Republican Committee kind of rolled over on it, I said, "Okay, there we go. We might never win the White House ever again." But let's use that to our advantage. If mm-hmm. we would have begged people and communicated people of what the positive effect would have been, 
Just vote no on issue one and mail back in your ballot. The fact that you stayed home because you weren't excited about what was going on right. is the reason why question one passed and question four passed. Mm-hmm. Just put but it I agree back with in- you. I think Republicans need to say, like, you know, complaining about fraud isn't going to get us anywhere. And as no. long as we have this mail in voting and this early voting, we have to do what the Democrats do, which is take advantage of every opportunity to find somebody who has a ballot they can use and talk to them about this stuff and get them to vote in a way that's going to help our state and not hurt it because the Democrats absolutely are doing that. Every day when there's early Did you voting, get a every phone day. Call about question one? Did you get a robocall about question one? Didn't get one? anything. And I had people asking me about the ballot questions beforehand, which is one of the reasons why, like, at the 11th hour, I kind of grabbed Jeff and said, like, you know, come on and talk to me about these ballot questions because people keep mm-hmm. asking me about them. And I have people going, oh, I'm getting all these huge, glossy mailers for yes on question one. And it sounds so great. And like, what could be wrong with it? And I haven't seen anything from the people that want you to vote no on question one. So it was it was question a very one. lopsided set of information that people were hearing because because nobody was getting the message out uh, from the opposite direction. Well, wh- where was the leadership on the national level and more importantly on the state level, those ads on question one, those were extremely, I'm not going to say unethical, but they were extremely misleading. Mm -hmm. It's against the law to earmark funds in Massachusetts. Right. And question one was saying, well, this is going towards education and transportation. And people, you know, people come up to me and go, Hey, how am I voting? Oh, isn't this great? It's going to go to the kids and go to transportation. No, it's not read the bill, you know, right. Political nerd only like me reads the bill, and I also am very friendly with uh, Senate President Karen Spilka. You know, I worked with her for 20 years, and you know, she knows I'm a Republican, and I, I know that she's the Senate President Democrat. But I sit there and look at her, and I go, "You're the one who decides where this money's going to go." And she just grins at you, and goes, "Yep," because she's the Senate President. It all goes into the general fund, and doesn't matter what the TV ad said. But where where was our leadership going? This. Excuse my language, but this ad is bullshit. Right. Pull this. Ad. This is not fair elections. You're misleading people. You're not allowed to earmark money in Massachusetts. You're running an ad telling people that you are earmarking. Mm-hmm. It's wrong, and the Democrats knew it was wrong, and they knew that they would pass it because they it was wrong. And shame on us, we didn't say a word. Right. And I I mentioned it to leadership. I mentioned it to leadership. You had a fake police officer. Saying, oh, you know, you know, police support, you know, question four. No, they don't. Right. No, no. And you know who also doesn't support question four? The RMB. Hmm. You know, I don't know if you've been to the RMB lately. You got to take a day off to go to the RMB. You're going to have to take a week off now to go to the RMB. Right. Because they don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the computer system. I can't even get a straight answer. Do they? Are they going to take tests, or are they just be going to give uh, be given licenses? Because if they're going to take tests, if you've tried to get somebody to have a driver's license test lately, good luck with that. Now you're going to add a couple million people to that? You, it's, it's, it's an utter nightmare. And those were two winnable questions that we should have you know, easily defeated. And because we had apathy and we had voter fraud, we lost those. And shame on us. Right. And I think you know one of the big things is to take advantage of this. We do have to get people past the defeatism of it's all just Mm -hmm. rigged and like we can do something about this you know i 
my personal view is that the town committee should be printing lists of everybody who requests an, ab- an absentee um, vote by mail ballot in the weeks mm-hmm. leading up to the election and go knock on their door and talk to them, you know, and, and you know, if you are a person who's really worried about voter fraud, they, then you're solving two problems because, first of all, you can find out if it's really a real person because you can knock on the door and say, hey, I saw that you requested an absentee ballot and I wanted to you know, ask you how you're voting on question one and and see if you wanted any information about it because I have a lot of information here about how it's going to work or whatever it is that you're going to say when you knock on the door. But you'll also know if that person's really a person who's voting in the election. So or somebody who died 10 years ago, you know, that's but we have you have to get people actually involved to do that work. And the Democrats do that work. That's why they win well, elections. We, we started off talking about it. Mass GOP and GOP local city committees, we've done a bad job. We've done a bad job in the cities just having city committees. We've done a bad job with uh, recruiting candidates, you know, Brazilian candidates, uh, Latino candidates, African-American candidates. We've done a bad job at that. We are the party of the middle class. Mm-hmm. You know, the, Dem- the Democrat Party used to be the party of the working class. They are not. They're progressive elites now. The mass GOP and the GOP and the national GOP party has a real opportunity here. Let's embrace this opportunity. Let's fight for the middle class. Let's fight for your your kids' education. Let's fight for the police. This is an opportunity, and we need to get into these city wards and say, hey, listen, we are a Republican, but we stand for you. We, we want to fight for you. We want your kids to have a better future than what you had. I want you to get a better job than you had. I want your education to provide you opportunities. And I am a Republican, and this is how I'm going to help you. Because the, the Democrat Party has forgotten about you. They forgot. You know, I mean, I understand, you know, you know the Democrats want to go socialism. They want to go woke and all that. I still know at the end of the day, the majority of the people do not want to do that. There is a faction that wants to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm willing to work against them, but most people just want a better life for them and their families. Mm-hmm. And the Republican Party has a perfect opportunity. So when Michael Graham, and I love Michael Graham, nobody's <laughs> a bigger fan of Michael Graham than I, but Michael, you're wrong. This When the going gets rough, the tough get going, and it's time to get going. We got to double our efforts. That's why you need somebody like me to say, hey, cut the shit. Let's go. You know, never give up, never waver, and let's keep fighting. And are we going to fix this problem in two years? Nope. We're going to fix it in four years? Nope. Are we going to fix it in 10? Yeah, I think we're, you know, people you know, people are going to look back and go, okay, wow, in 2022, we elected this new guy and he put us on a new path. But it's not going to be an easy fix. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a lot of bumps in the roads going to be a lot of questions that i don't know the answers to but you know we're going to fight them with integrity we're going to fight them with professionalism and we're going to fight them with core values that most people want and that's yeah. the only way we're going to do it now so michael I'm fight the the mass gop and, and the sort of infighting there is perceived to have sort of sides to it and yeah. and i you know i think that's a little Trump bit versus baker yeah. yeah, and it's it's sort of that's sort of a little bit oversimplifying because people there are definitely people who sort of have a foot in both worlds and and other there's other parts to that I think, um, but in the mass GOP that's sort of how it's perceived to be. 
do you do you have a side in that or do you have good relationships with people on both of those sides or do you think that that either or both of those sides would present a problem in trying to make the party move forward and be a different kind of uh, mass GOP? That is a good, that, that might be the best question of the night so far, uh, and a difficult question, because what I've always tried to do is I build the big tent, and if you're a Republican, I'm going to help you no matter what. If you're a fiscal conservative Republican, you're a moderate fiscal, and you're a little bit, you know, uh, uh, you know a mm-hmm. little bit socially not as conservative as I am, but you're still a Republican, you're really ready to run as a Republican, I'm ready to help you. Like I said earlier in the interview, is Charlie Baker as conservative as I am? No, he's not. Do I agree with Donald Trump on on his personality? No, I don't. But I see the benefits of both of them, and that's what leadership does. Charlie Baker does this well. Donald Trump does this well. Let's not alienate either one. Let them do what they do well for the betterment of our party, and as the chairman of the party, I'll benefit from both of it, and the party will benefit from both of it. What we've done is to say, oh, if you're not this, you're not that. You know, people have said to me, oh, Featherston's a rhino. (laughs) (laughs) Then you don't know me. You don't know me. Because I am an elected official in Massachusetts who's been in politics for 20 years. I've never voted for a tax increase. I, and I never will vote for a tax increase. I never raised anybody's water bill. I never raised anybody's taxes. I always looked at ways to find less taxes. You know, a lot, lot of times selectmen don't vote on, you know, gay marriage or, you know, or uh, certainly not abortion or anything like that. But there's no way you could call me a rhino. There's just no way. And everybody just throws that. T- oh, he, he, we don't agree 1000% on abortion with Featherston. He's a rhino. Or we don't agree with Featherston, you know, 100% on this issue. He's a rhino. We've got to stop doing that. Let's look in the mirror. And if you're on the state committee, show me your candidates. Show me what you're doing. And then let's mm-hmm. take this conversation offline. And let's have these conversations offline and work through our differences. But yeah. we're, we're public. At the we're same one, time. We're one team with mm-hmm. one goal. This infighting is is just, it's very disappointing. Yeah. And and at the same time, I think that there's something that happens too. And like you, I like Charlie Baker, even though he is not as conservative as I would like in the world. But if he's what I'm going to get in Massachusetts, I'll take it. Um, And, but I, I think there's something that happens amongst people too, that want the mass GOP to be more moderate and feel that's the way to win elections where they're sort of already on the defensive where the messaging feels like it's telling people, you know, yeah, we're Republicans, but not one of the bad ones. Not like that. And so you're already sort of seeding the ground that Republicans are bad, but like, just I'm not like the rest of them. So you can vote for me. There was one there was one, at one point I was at some some training thing and some state committee person was saying that they were going to do a hashtag hashtag it's okay to vote GOP and I was like why are we doing this terrible hashtag why are you telling people like it's okay don't be too ashamed that once you voted Republican like why are we even starting from the framing that that it feels like it's wrong to vote GOP and and I think I feel like there's more of that coming from the Baker like side of the party where there's this sense that it's like and and i think that that hurts just like you're saying it's it's the reagan's 
commandment not to speak ill of your fellow Republicans, I think that that cuts both ways where, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think people should be running around calling a popular Republican governor all these names and saying he's a tyrant and all this stuff. And then at the same time, I think that that the messaging from the moderate wing of the Republican Party that a bunch of other Republicans are crazy lunatics who shouldn't be elected is also bad for the party, too. Well, you know, if, you know, like I said, we talked about Jeff, and I like Jeff. And if I had the opportunity to have been endorsed by a former president of the United States, and the media is going to immediately say, oh, he's Trump endorsed. Okay. Thank Yeah, it's quite the honor to be endorsed by a former president of the United States. It's quite an honor. You know, never in my life would I have thought I would have been endorsed by a former president of the United States. And that's really nice. But let me tell you about me. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you why I'm the right choice for governor. Take the blow. Absorb the blow. Acknowledge it. Yes. D- Mr. Trump and I don't agree on everything. But let me tell you why I'm the right person for Massachusetts. Did we get that? We didn't get that. We just got, oh, yeah. I've been endorsed by Trump, and that's all we did. And you know, it's it's wonderful that you're a Republican nominee. You're going to get endorsed by the former president, but that's not that shouldn't have been the whole thing, though. And I would have liked to seen leadership. And where I go with leadership, a lot of times in leadership, it's not this; it's the chairman, it's the rest of the party going, "Hey, let's let's train this candidate. Let's figure out a way to raise money to get somebody." Like, I'm pretty friendly with John Dennis, who was uh, uh, Jeff Deal's uh, campaign coach when he was running for U.S. Uh, US Senate against Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. John was really, really good. And would, you know, John was a fighter, kind of like I am as well. And he would teach Jeff how to talk. And I'm not criticizing Jeff, but it's just, now it's Monday morning quarterback. But you could see during the campaign now, he didn't have that voice in his ear. He didn't have his media ally. You didn't see a lot of Jeff in the media because he didn't have anybody pushing him, getting him into that media spot. All he got was Trump endorsed, Trump endorsed, Trump. And anybody who pays any attention to Massachusetts knows if the only marketing point that you have in Massachusetts, you're endorsed by Trump, you're failed from the start. You're failed from the start. Mm -hmm. And that's. I mean, I think there were winning issues there. I think there were winning issues there, too. I mean, obviously, the, the energy costs issues just inflation in general schools schools, a lot of these things are and i mean charlie baker got elected in uh his first first time he got elected and i'll say he got elected because he saw the value in the tank the gas tax Mm -hmm. which actually was a well if charlie hadn't embraced it and that's kind of why i got a little frustrated when he was talking about tci last year Charlie Baker would not have been the governor of Massachusetts if it hadn't been for right. Tank the Tax. Yeah, so, and I think he ran much more conservative in 2014 than he actually ended up governing by 2020, um, mm-hmm. but or, or 2022 even. But you know, it's it is what it is in Massachusetts, kind of. Yeah. But but I do think um, I I do. Jeff's candidacy had its own flaws, but I think that there were there were also destructive forces within the GOP working against Jeff's campaign as well that were outside of his control. So I guess the reason I asked the question about the two sides in the party and if you if you 
you know, how, how do you, how you, how do you rein that in at this point? Like, how do you stop one half of the party from eating the other just as the chair? Like, I, you can't control what everybody does. You're, you're always going to have conflict. And I, I'm the type of guy, I like conflict. I kind of like it, you know, the back and forth. Mm -hmm. But that's where I'm talking about. That's where you, that's where you have leadership. That's where you get both of the decisive sides into a room and go, okay, what, what do we agree on? Let's do a whiteboard. What do we agree on? What don't we agree on? What are we willing to compromise on? Because when we walk out of this room, we're one party, we're one message. And if you don't want to do that, fine. Then we'll find, you know, we'll find other ways to do it, right? But you have to do that. And I think, in, you know, and, and, and you're going to get people in the room and are you going to get 100% buy off on it? Of course not. You're not. You're going to have to lead by example. You're going to have to have integrity. You're going to have, more importantly, when you walk out of that room, that chair, John Featherston, needs to do what was agreed to and does it 100% in that room. That's how you bring back credibility to the party. Mm -hmm. Because the first time that you don't do that, you lose all credibility. You shouldn't you shouldn't even run for the position or had that meeting. But if you get everybody in a room, you're going to find you even do that with a Democrat. You're going to find you have more in common than you don't think. So let's figure out what those one or two issues are that why we have the infighting and let's fix it. Let's agree to it. Do we need to go to mediation? Do we need just to ha have it all out? Do, you know, do we have to have an FU fest right in the room? But once we have it, it's done. It's over because the Democrats do that. They have a unified message. They go out and they stay on message. The Republicans need to start doing that. And if we don't, we're not going to have a Republican Party in Massachusetts. We're not going to agree on everything. And I hope we don't agree on everything because then we don't challenge each other and we don't learn new ideas. But we've got to come out of it. We've got to be mature. We've got to be professional and we've got to be one voice. And that one voice then goes to the media, and then we start challenging the media. Because the media is not our friend in Massachusetts. We all know that. Mm -hmm. But for us to build credibility, to get that mom to go, you know what, maybe I do need to run for school committee. Or, right. you, get somebody, or you get somebody to go, you know what, I, you know, I'm not a selectman, but I can get on my board of health. You, you don't think a board of health member during COVID was important? Oh, man. Don't get me you know? started. Oh, and our board, and they vote on other things too. By the way, yeah, first, they, I don't know if this is true in every town, but they vote. They oh, vote yes. on our. Uh, I don't know if this is true everywhere, but they do our um, our like waste contracts, like the trash pickup mm -hmm. and everything like that. And they, our board of health, just voted in an absolutely terrible contract that made everybody extremely unhappy. And you know, and then the people that were in charge of that run like unopposed because no one cares. Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of, and I know we've been at this an hour and I feel like I could talk about this stuff all day because it, I'm so interested in it. But, um, as a, as a last question that I have is another number that was on that spreadsheet that you posted was the, the percent mm -hmm. enrolled in the party. And that's a really important number because as you know, like to do a lot of this organizing, to get your city and town committees organized, you have to find people who are enrolled in the party who are willing to do stuff. So mm -hmm. if you have like in a city award that's pretty heavily democrat already and then you know only only a quarter of the people who even are conservative are actually enrolled republicans and then you know so you go down and and so it's something like 10 percent, you know of the 
of the state right. is actually registered Republicans, but it's been dropping. And I know that party enrollment in general drops over time for both parties because people aren't as interested in being part of political parties anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the majority party in Massachusetts is the unrolled. Yeah. Right. So, so I mean, Democrats are dropping too, but they have the advantage that there's three times more of them to start with. So they can drop a few percentage points and not have the same problems getting things organized. How do you attract new people to the Republican Party of Massachusetts right now? I mean, I, I uh, you know, got laughed out a little bit when I said I thought the Minifans should start running for stuff and getting involved in local offices. But, I, you know, I think that's an example of a group of people who are extremely passionate and show up to stuff. So, like, how do you replicate something like that about them? How do you get people, maybe, I, I don't know that anything can get people as excited as Minifans fans are about Kirk Minahan, but, um, but how do you, how do you get some kind of energy or like I mentioned the 2010, like that kind of, that was like a magic time when it felt like something was happening and there was energy. How do you get people to get excited enough to actually go to the trouble of joining a party and doing this stuff? Well, yeah, he'll get mad about this, but why do people love Kirk Minahan? Why do they love him? I'll cut the tape and send it to Dave right away. (laughs) Why do people love, why do people love Kirk Minahan? Um, I think he's loved. He's loved. I think he creates an an enormous sense of uh, intimacy with his audience over time. But because he's, because he's honest. That's true. He's, he's raw. Mm -hmm. He's, he's vulnerable. He, talks about things that he's not good at and things that he struggles with. And what does that mean? And what do I mean? He's real. He's real. He's a real person. He shows his good sides and his bad side. And people like that. And that's the type of leadership that I am. You know, I've always kidded, you know, and you, you know, there's no bigger fan of Kirk than myself. Mm-hmm. I'm almost to that part of the, of the old show. I've been working my way through back episodes. <laughs> uh, I've always said I am a lot like Kirk. It's just that he's a talented broadcaster and I'm just a so-so broadcaster. But people like him because he's a fighter. He's mm-hmm. got integrity. If he's going to do something, he'll do it. And you don't have to question that he's going to do it. And he's a lot like me. If he's not going to do it, he's not going to do it. But, you know, he's he's not perfect. Uh, he's talked about his struggles with mental health and everything. like. But people like him because he's a real person. And... A lot of times in politics, you don't get a real person. I'm a real person. I'm as flawed as they come. Just talk to my wife. She'll confirm that in one second, you know? Uh, Do I have all the answers? I don't. Uh, I don't know what all the questions are. Uh, Do I make mistakes sometimes? Yeah, I do. But when I make them, I own them. And I don't make them a second time. Uh, And I think that's, you know, you do need people like Minifans. And you do need somebody like Kirk. To rally and to, to to pay his younger audience to pay attention, that you can be. You don't have to be a stone thrower to be a fighter. You don't. You can be a diplomat because mm-hmm. I I'm more of a diplomatic fighter than I am a stone thrower. But I'll throw a stone if I have to throw a stone. But you back up what you do, and Kirk is a good role model in that area. Is that he'll fight for you. He'll fight for you, and he'll have your back. And a lot of times in Massachusetts. And you've experienced, and I've experienced, the GOP hasn't always had everybody's back. Yeah, you know, and having somebody's back is not 
patronizing them and going, oh, John and Alice, you're, you're a great candidate. Sometimes having somebody's back is to say, hey, John, you might not be the best candidate. You need to work on X, Y, and Z. I can help you work on that. And you might not be ready in this cycle, but I'll get you ready for the next cycle mm -hmm. because you need to work on this. That's what leadership is. That's what friendship is. That's what management is. And uh, we need more of that. And I, I am honestly believe it because I am an eternal optimist is when we start getting these small victories on the local level, we start building momentum. You know, I, one of the greatest things that I saw in my lifetime was the Massachusetts miracle from Scott Brown. Scott Brown actually came mm -hmm. to a, a town committee meeting and I, I leaned over to my friend at the end and I said, oh, he has no chance. But he had one opportunity to say, excuse me, it's not the Kennedy seat, it's the people's seat. And that one line changed all the momentum. And we had that momentum for a long time and we wasted it. Then we had the momentum mm -hmm. when we got Charlie Baker because we have no bench. It's not the top of the ticket that's the problem in Massachusetts. There's talented people in Massachusetts. I'll say it. Ryan Fatman would be a great next, you know, governor of Massachusetts. Sheriff Lou would be another great candidate mm -hmm. for Massachusetts. They're already out there. But who's going to I want to Andrew help? Lelling. That's who I want for governor. Andrew's a great candidate <laughs> as well. Thank you for mentioning that. Uh, but who's going to help them sustain a veto in four years? Yeah. In eight? They're not because we're going to lose more seats if we don't start building a quality bench today. Yeah. I had a friend who's not into politics who was sort of just learning all this stuff uh, when it came to COVID because she was very passionate about these COVID issues and she had come from another state and she didn't realize that that was like a thing. She was like, what do you mean they passed it anyway, even though the governor vetoed it? And I was like, they can do that because there's so many of them. And she was like, that's a thing. And I was like, yes, they just, he did. So she's like, what's the point of him vetoing stuff? And I'm like, nothing, because that's the state that we live in. I mean, are we going to get the majority in, in the short term, the next decade? Of course we're not. But wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to, you know, help the governor support a veto? Mm -hmm. you know? We're now we're even close to that right now. And it, and it is proof in Massachusetts that even in a very blue state, they will elect a Republican governor because people want a two-party system. Right. People want it. Democrats want a two-party system because it benefits them. It benefits their family. We are on the doorstep of not having that in mm -hmm. Massachusetts, and it scares me to death. It scares me to death. Yeah. Yeah, it is scary. Well, I hope that the Mass GOP changes. I don't know who's going to be the next chair. It, You know, I... Don't know everyone who's running so far. You've been one of the most vocal people who said that you're running at the moment, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it, because you've been one of the most open people talking about a lot of these issues. And it seems like people will give a little snippet of a quote to a reporter about how they're very seriously looking at running. And, you know, but but there's not a lot of people like really going out there and saying this stuff. So I, I really appreciate I it. And I appreciate, as always, phone. that I you spent a half hour phone with the globe yesterday with a reporter from the globe very friendly very you know nice wow. never met her but it was on the phone with her you know for a half hour talking about my background talking about why i'm running mm -hmm. article comes out today it's one line john featherston uh been involved in ashland politics that's yeah. it like really so i mean you know and i knew that going in I and mean, of course and we talked about it earlier i 
I understand the media better, you know, you know, I'm the only person in the media ever in Massachusetts call Elizabeth Warren a liar to her face, you know, and I'm proud mm-hmm. of the fact that I've done that. Uh, we need, and that, and that's the piece that I can add is that the media is not going to treat us fair. The media loves the fact that there's turmoil in mass GOP. Mm-hmm. They love it. They're, they're embracing it. And you know what we continue to do? We continue to feed that fire though, too. Yeah. And that's, you know, shame on us. We've got to stop feeding that fire. You know, like, like I said, I talk to Democrats all the time. Like I said, I, I'm a neighbor of Senate President Spoko. I talk to Democrats all the time. She just smirks at me. She just smirks <laughs> at me. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's like, come on, you know, and we do it to ourselves and we have to stop doing it. To, we have to stop the bleed. Yeah. Yeah, well, I agree with that, and and I appreciate all you've done with the party. I mean, because you volunteered so much time doing all these things and and being a part of stuff, and that you don't have to do. It'd be easier just to say like, forget it. So, so I really appreciate you doing that, and I really appreciate you throwing that your hat in the ring and um and taking the time to talk about all these things and put the information out there the way you have been on Twitter too. So. So thanks. Thank you. Um, and yeah, we'll. I hope we'll talk again soon and keep talking about all these things, no matter what happens. Well, you know, Alice, I just have to give you a plug because, mm-hmm. you know, I've always been a big fan of yours. What you're doing right now is important. And I hope you do it with other candidates, too, because, you know, people need to see, you know, you know what, the, you know, there's not a lot of avenues to have this type of conversation. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you provide this in Massachusetts is, is an asset. And uh, I can't thank you enough for it. Oh, thanks, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk to anybody. I And like I say, I love talking about this stuff. I could go another hour, but but it's late. And, you know, I have kids to put to bed and other things. Um, and but, but yeah, I'll talk to anybody about this stuff. And like you say, and this is a whole nother conversation that I could get into. It's a lot of this stuff isn't covered in the news at all. Like most people don't know what a state committee or a town committee even is or what they do. There's certainly no reporting on who's running for them or talking about any of this stuff. And and with the absolute death of local news, hastened, of course, by pandemic policies, uh, the it's less than ever reporting on this. So the Democrats are using it to their advantage. Absolutely. To their advantage. Right? Absolutely. So let's keep talking, keep having these conversations using Elon Musk's new free Twitter and <laughs> and all the podcast Elon. avenues that that exist and and yeah, I mean, we'll keep going and and trying to do what we do as long as we can in this state, I guess. So Never anyway, give up. Never give up. <laughs> Thank you, John. Have a great night. Thanks you too. Thanks for having me. Clouds in and I said must have brought the rain from Boston But you looked at me and I felt the sun